Hey folks, welcome to Monthly Call with Mark. I'll start talking as you uh, all start coming in. This is a t this is kind of a different call this month. And it's something that's been on my, I've thought about doing it actually for the last couple of months because I, uh, my business has been going through an interesting time. I had a team member leave to pursue her own business, which is great, thrilled for her. And then as that team member left, I realized that the job that another team member had been doing, I didn't really need her to do anymore. The business had evolved away from it. And so I've gone from a team of four to a team of two in the last uh, couple of months. And it's meant me going back into a lot of the day to day, to day, which I really enjoy. It's funny how often I have conversations with people as they come into the service and I come to the onboarding call and they say, um, oh, I didn't think it'd be you. I thought it'd be a member of your team. Well, I'm not there because necessarily I have to be. I do have a team member still that I could send to those calls, but I like the work. I like bookkeeping. I, I And I want to say that because uh, I, I don't want my clients to think that I'm doing the work or that I view the work as a stepping stone to other things. That's what I really want to avoid. I want my clients to know that I'm doing your bookkeeping because I want to, I like it. I've liked it for eight years now. I think I, I hope I like it for another eight years and beyond. And so I just want my clients to know that part of the reason we'll talk about part of the, the, the reasons I want my clients to know that, but bookkeeping is a, is a business where it's a service where, well, let me tell you a story. So I have a client, I have a coaching client. He's a pure life coaching client. He's, he happens to be a builder. He's, he has a construction business and he hired a bookkeeper. Cause I said, I will not touch bookkeeping for a construction business. That is my nightmare. And uh, he said, okay, I found a good bookkeeper. And I said, okay, great. And something that he and I have spent a decent amount of time on is how, uh, how he can and should communicate with his bookkeeper systems that they can put in place together and to make sure that things go well. And then he came to a call recently, one of our coaching calls a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I haven't heard from my bookkeeper in a month. I think she just got too busy. And then in a uh, call a couple of weeks after that, he came to me and said, yeah, my bookkeeper said she can't, she can't work with me anymore. She's too busy. And I thought, oh, I hate to hear this because I'm afraid it's, too common. I'm, a, I'm afraid that what happens in the bookkeeping game is that people think they're looking for a great bookkeeper and then they find a great bookkeeper. It's like sort of a solo bookkeeper and they're able to do some customization and, oh, I like my bookkeeper because he does this or because she does that. And I can sort of send them one-off requests and, and that works, you know, they're, they're responsive to my one-off requests. And Ultimately, what happens is if that bookkeeper is very good at what they do, then they start to get more and more clients. And then as each of those clients have more and more customization, as that bookkeeper with the best of intentions says, I'm going to, I'll sort of take all my clients one-off requests and I'll adapt myself to those requests. Then over time, they get overwhelmed. They start to drop the ball. And as in the case of my client, who's a builder, a month goes by, they don't hear from the bookkeeper. And then the bookkeeper says, I'm just overwhelmed. I, I can't work with you anymore. And now that that client is high and dry, like they have to start the whole process over again. I've got to find another bookkeeper and, and round and round we go. Now, does that happen every couple of months? No, I don't think that happens every couple of months. 
but I, my wish for business owners would be that they don't have to worry about changing their bookkeeper out, you know, every year that they, that they could, they could have a years long relationship with their bookkeeper. I have, I was looking at this the other day. Uh, my longest running bookie, bookkeeping client, we started working together in early 2014. So she's, we're now eight years into our relationship. And I love that. I love that for her, that she has not had to think about switching bookkeepers for eight years. And I, you know, I lose clients sometimes and I know they move on to good things. It's not like I'm the only bookkeeper in the world. And sometimes clients really do want more customization and they're willing to deal with the difficulties that come with that higher level of customization. But I also like that for a person who is pretty settled in their business, that their bookkeeping when they hire, let's do the books is also pretty settled and they don't have to give it a ton of thought. So today I want to talk about how this is a call that I frankly plan to have all new clients listen to on their way in, maybe even before they sign up for service. And I hope also that all of us, all of you can glean some sort of insights from, for your own business about, about um, how to, how to think about deliverables, how to think about deliverables, how to think about what I sell and what I promise to give in exchange for what I sell and what I don't promise to give in exchange for the money that my clients pay me. I don't have any slides today. So it's just going to be me talking. There's already more of you here than I thought would come to this thing. So hi, glad you came. Um, I've got some notes. What I actually did is I pulled up a client's YNAB account. You need a budget is of course the tool that I use to do all of your bookkeeping. And I pulled her YNAB account up just to sort of jog my thoughts about what, in what circumstances uh, uh, things work really well in my service and in what cir circumstances they fall apart and in what circumstances I work really well and in what circumstances I fall apart. Because as is true, I think for all of us, we are the ultimate point of success and point of failure in our business. And sort of my lifelong project is to make it so I have fewer opportunities to break down in my own business. So let me tell you a story of a client. This is a client who a couple of weeks ago, I've been, I've been working with her for two or three months now. A couple of weeks ago, she sent me an email on a random day and said, hey, can I get an updated profit and loss statement and an updated balance sheet from you? I am applying for something. She needed, she needed current financial statements. And I said, sure, no problem. And within an hour, I had current financial statements for her. And in the moment, and I sent, you know, attached them to an email and sent them off. And in the moment that happened, I thought, this is so instructive. Why, why was it so easy for me to deliver exactly what she wanted, exactly when she wanted it? And it was extremely low cost to me. We always have, all of us, all of us have to be thinking about profit, right? We have to be thinking about profit margin in our business. And every point of friction in, in our business reduces our profit. Even if it's hard to measure the loss of profit financially, friction uh, reduces our the ease of the business. And that's a different kind of profit. What all of us are looking for ultimately is a situation where we're delivering value in a really low friction way so that our profit, our financial profit and mental and emotional profit are high. And our client's cost is low relative to the value that they feel like they're getting from the service, right? There, there are business models. Mine is one of them. All of you have business models where 
you're able to deliver an experience that a client is thrilled to pay for that also happens to provide you with a high profit, financial profit and mental emotional profit. So I asked myself in that moment, why was it so easy to deliver her that, that result in that moment? And it's very nuts and bolts. And I'm going to give you my nuts and bolts in, the, in, in my business processes, because I want this to spark your thinking about your business processes and where there's friction that maybe you haven't acknowledged. So this client. She said, I need, I need an updated set of financial statements. I said, no problem. An hour later, she had them. And those financial stance, statements were current within a few days because she happens to be a client that I, whose, whose financials I update every Tuesday. Now, that's something that I would love to offer everybody. Right now, I only have a few clients that I, I do weekly updates. And she's one of them because she has structured her business in a way that makes it easy and profitable for me to give her weekly updates. So let's say she asked for her financials on a Thursday. I could give her, I could give her current accurate financials that are 48 hours old. Well, why? Well, first and foremost, it's about the checking account. And it's amazing to me. I never would have known in 2014 when I started this business, how big of a deal a client's checking account is. If a client has a checking account that meets a few criteria, the whole, our whole bookkeeping relationship is set up for success. Here's what that looks like. The bank offers what we call bookkeepers access. You've probably all heard, of, heard, um, heard me or my team talk about this in general terms, but today I'm gonna, I wanna get very specific. So there are banks that allow me and my team to have our own username and our own password to your bank, to your checking account and other, other accounts you have there so that we can log in, see what we need to see, export what we need to export, reconcile what we need to export or reconcile, see check images, all of it. We see, see PDF statements. We can do all of that, but we can do it in a secure way because it's a non-transactional login, meaning I don't have the ability to, to create transfers or move money around. All I can do is see the data. So she has that in her bank. Her bank also happens to be one that connects reliably to you need a budget which is a huge deal, it turns out. It's a huge deal. Because then when I go into YNAB and I wanna get her fresh, accurate data, I don't have to log into the bank first. I can just import into YNAB and then I can open the bank quickly to check the YNAB balance against the bank balance and I can confirm that those match. I can push a button in YNAB that reconciles that account in YNAB and then I can move on. So it's, it's so frictionless for me to be able to update her checking account. She has a checking account and a savings account. A checking account and a savings account, that's fine because savings account is at the same bank. I can easily log in if I need to. I can import the transactions directly, easy. She also is in the habit of making very relatively few transfers between her checking account and her savings account. And we'll talk more about transfers in a little bit. So she, just by having a check, her checking account at a bank that plays nice with bookkeeping, she's already set the, the relationship up for so much success. Now, I don't know what the parallels would be in your businesses, but I want you to actually spend, I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about what are the basic things? What are the basic conditions in which the relationship is set up to thrive without a lot of extra work. And I'll talk about a lot of extra work here in a minute. 
an example that I would think about with coaching, because I just got off before this call, I had a coaching call with a client, uh, a life coaching client. And he and I just renewed. So we finished a six month coaching engagement and then he wanted to do another six months, which is great. I asked him if we could switch our call from a late afternoon to a, to a late morning. And he said, sure. That is actually a surprisingly important part of a coaching relationship, isn't it? Have you thought about that? Some of you may still be in the phase where you're thinking, I don't care when they want to coach. I just want them to want to coach with me. And so if they want to talk on at Sunday night at 11 o'clock, I'll be there. Okay, fine. There's a period in our businesses where it's probably worthwhile to say yes to, to all of that. Eventually, you realize, oh, it turns out I only really want to have appointments on, say, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And I don't really want to have appointments during a traditional lunchtime. And, you know, I pick up my kids from school, or I'd like to be able to pick up my kids from school. And you start to realize where there would be friction or could be friction, and you start to adjust your systems accordingly. It just happens that in bookkeeping, one of the single highest points of friction is the checking account. So I've started as, as new clients have reached out about the service these days, I've started to say, Hey, where do you bank? And right up front, I've got to ask you, are you willing to switch banks? And I, and I know what I'm asking when I ask it, that's a, it's a big hassle to switch banks. It's such a hassle. But if I don't ask them if they're even willing to switch banks, then we, we open the doors to just so much friction down the road. So this client has a nice checking account, savings account at a bank that's easy for me. She also only uses one credit card in the account, in the business. That, biz, that credit card is also at a bank that has nice bookkeepers access, connects reliably to YNAB. So when it's time for me to update the information in YNAB from her credit card, that is frictionless. It's easy. It's easy. It's not a problem. She processes payments from her clients through Stripe and PayPal. That's where I need them to be processed. Why? Well, because I've created software. I've written software that, that in a semi-automatic way takes your sales information out of Stripe and out of PayPal and puts it directly into YNAB. So of course that benefits me because it's way less clicks per year. It's like a you know, 95% less clicks per year when a team member is not having to go into PayPal, go to this report, export the report, reformat the data, import the data into YNAB. I wrote software that does, I click a button, it goes in, the software goes into PayPal, gets all the information, puts it in a spreadsheet, I review it, I click another button, it goes to YNAB. And I can do that for a hundred clients at a time. That's really fantastic. Here's how that benefits the client though. It's not just that that reduced friction benefits me, it benefits the client because Stripe and PayPal both make it very easy for me to see what you sold 95% of the time. Meaning Stripe or PayPal will have a product name built into it. And then I can map that product name to a specific revenue category in YNAB. So I'm able to put that information straight into YNAB already, already categorized for you. And since it's semi-automated, we do this, I do this four days a week. So uh, I'll be sending out a survey because I have this question. I don't know how often my clients even look at their numbers, but a client who wants to know how much money she's made in the last few days, Monday through Thursday, I've got fresh data from PayPal and Stripe because, well, because Stripe deposits into the checking account Monday through Thursday, into your checking account Monday through Thursday. So those are the days I update PayPal and Stripe. And I know that's kind of in the weeds technically, but what the point I'm making is, 
if a client will use PayPal and Stripe in a very frictionless way, I can give them near real-time information about their revenue and how it impacts the rest of their finances. But if they use Venmo, ugh. <laughs> if they use WePay or if they use Authorize.net or any number of other platforms, I still can get the information in there and I'm happy to, but I'll only do it once a month. I'll do it at the beginning of the month when we're reconciling for the month. That's not a problem for a lot of people. A lot of people don't care that their finances are only updated monthly. But I just had a client, another client reach out the other day and she said, I, I really like to get into YNAB a few times a month and I would really love to see my revenue in there. And I said, yeah, I, I really want to give you that. We had already had conversations about switching from one payment processor to either Stripe or PayPal. And she said, okay, I'm ready to make the move. I'll switch to Stripe because now I can see that it's going to give me the information in a more timely way. Why PayPal and Stripe? Because those are the monsters in the market. They're the monsters in the market. Like that if both of them for, for the work that we all do, Stripe and PayPal are absolutely sufficient. Now, don't hear this as an ultimatum for any of my, my clients. A lot of my clients use other payment processors, and this is not an ultimatum. I'm trying to get transparent to say, if you will consider using either PayPal or Stripe, I can give you the data, real time's too strong of a word, but not far from real time. That's better. That's better service. And then you might say, well, why not? I know, but why, Mark, why not build your systems to allow for more diversity in the payment processors? We'll come back to that in a minute. We'll come back to that in a minute. So for all those reasons, I was able to give this client basically close to real time um, information about her finances. And when she asked for reports within an hour or two, I was able to say, yeah, here's your updated financial, your updated profit and loss and your updated balance sheet. Now, many of us in this little community, the community of my clients, we've never really dealt with financial reporting before. When I tell my friend who's the CEO of a company with a couple hundred employees, when I tell him, oh yeah, if a client asks for a PL, I'll have that PL up to the day within about an hour or an hour and a half, as long as they fit my systems. His mind is blown. He cannot fathom that. Well, his business is a lot more complex than our businesses, but still the idea that you would be able to email your bookkeeper and within an hour or two, you're like, yep, here it is, all current, all accurate up to yesterday or the day before, that's different. That's different. And I love, I love having that as sort of the vision for my service that I could give that, that kind of um, quick turnaround on, on things like that. I used to think that I had to build my service around every edge case that could come up, every random bank, every random credit union, every random payment processor. And then I realized, no, this is a collaboration. This is a collaboration. And I want to show my clients that if they will conform to my systems, here's the agreement. Here's the agreement. I will not ask you to change your processes, your banking in a way that I think is egregious. Now you might think it's egregious, but I'll never ask you to do something that I think, wow, that's really over the top to ask them to do that. Changing banks is a hassle, but it's a one-time hassle. Changing payment processes is a can be a hassle, but it's a one-time hassle. And here's all the goodness that sets you up for. 
I also don't make requests of my clients that I don't think another bookkeeper would ever request. Meaning I don't think I'm the only person who asks these things. I, I, I kind of been masterminding a little bit with a guy who's taken over a lot of my CFO work. As I've moved away from being the CFO for the multi-million dollar businesses, there's one particular guy that I've been, um, my clients have been hiring and he and I finally met. He's awesome. And it was so fun to talk shop with him. And we were talking about this process. And I said, where are you with sort of automation in your bookkeeping practices? And he said, oh, our goal is 100% automation. We don't want to touch any bookkeeping. And I thought, well, that's a little extreme for me. I, I want to touch the bookkeeping. I want to review transactions. Um, but it was interesting to have him confirm to me that he holds clients to the same exact standards that I'm asking clients to meet. So when I ask clients to switch banks, I do it with confidence, knowing that someday you may choose to go with another bookkeeping service. But that bookkeeping relationship will benefit from the fact that I asked you to work with a bank that's actually set up for, for modern business, frankly. Uh, you're, you're, for the duration of your time in business, you're going to be working with a bookkeeper. And the better your, your business is set up for the bookkeeping relationship, the happier you're going to be. You won't have to be reinventing the wheel every time. That's why this particular client I don't want to use the word ideal client because you're all kind of my ideal clients. And I don't, and that's not lip service. I love doing the work I do for all the clients that I work for. What I'm seeking is over time to, to massage the, the setup in the business so that the bookkeeping has less and less friction in it so that the relationship is as durable as possible. Let's see if I have any notes about this client I'm talking about. Um, okay. Some notes about categorization. I, I don't know if you ever, I don't know why any of you would ever think about this, but when it's time to actually categorize my clients' transactions, I don't know how other bookkeepers do this, but I've gone into, I've gone into clients' financials when they're moving from another bookkeeper to me. And then, and very often I've thought, oh, I don't, boy, they just sort of seem to be firing blind here with how they categorized things. We categorize things systematically. So YNAB has built in sort of semi-automatic categorization. We still review every single category because YNAB gets it wrong sometimes. And we're human, so we also get it wrong sometimes. But for the most part, when you spend money at a certain place or with a certain person, we're going to set a category by default and then review it to confirm that it's right. Uh, a client who wants the bookkeeping process to be as smooth as possible, she will, she will make sure that her transactions are only business transactions because business transactions are relatively easy to categorize. It's when personal transactions start slipping in among those business transactions that the possibility for mistakes gets higher and higher. And so what does that look like? That looks like, well, any number of things. Um, I pay for gas with my business card. I pay for, uh, you know, concert tickets. Uh, I mean, any, anything. You just see groceries. You see business transactions or personal transactions trickling in and it's not that it's the end of the world to guess at a category. It's that we're more likely to be wrong. So now your financials are wrong, which either means you're paying too much in taxes because I've understated your, your profit. I don't want that. I don't want you paying extra taxes. Or you are overstating your expenses and risking the IRS's wrath, right? Um, we don't want that either. So when the client that I'm talking about, one of the reasons her client, her bookkeeping is very frictionless is because business transactions happen in business accounts and personal transactions happen in personal accounts. And that's it. And frankly, folks, that's not a lot to ask. 
that's not a lot to ask. I understand that it can be sort of an awkward transition if we've been blending business and personal, but once we acknowledge to each other, okay, it's time to not do this within the next 60 days, let's, let's have it done. Business transactions and business accounts, personal transactions and personal accounts. And here's almost the bigger tragedy in my mind. When a person uses personal cards for business transactions and I, as the bookkeeper, don't know about them. Well, now sometimes they're spending thousands of dollars in a year and I don't know it. And that could have been reducing their profit and by extension, reducing their taxes. And so now they're really overpaying taxes because they paid for their five, 10, $15,000 coaching experience on this other card and didn't tell me. And I don't, I, I don't know how to guess. I don't, I don't, it's not part of my process. I suppose it could be part of my process to say, by the way, have there been any person, any transactions you haven't told us about, but I, I almost wouldn't want to introduce that because I don't want to facilitate that. I don't think it's unreasonable to say business transactions in business accounts. <laughs> just, just do that. That's, that's business ownership. Um, okay. Oh, I'll talk briefly about, no, let's move on. Let's move on to the client where there's maybe more friction. And again, this is not the second class client. This isn't the client I'm unhappy with. It's just the client whose bookkeeping processes have more friction in them. Let's start back with the checking account. Let's imagine a checking account where I don't have bookkeepers access. The majority of credit unions don't offer bookkeepers access. Mine does, I found out recently, hallelujah. But the majority of credit unions do not offer any sort of guest admin or read-only kind of access. So if a client comes to me and says, well, I'm working at XYZ, or I have my bank at XYZ Credit Union, and we confirm, yeah, there's not bookkeepers access. Well, okay, now what do we do? Well, does it connect to YNAB? Because at least if it connects to YNAB, then I can automatically import the transactions. And now we just have the issue of being able to reconcile the balance periodically. Not ideal, but okay, I can live with it. I would, in the long term, I won't live with it. Two years from now, we won't be having this conversation because I won't have any clients whose banking does not meet these standards. But for the short term, I'm actually not even bothered to work with this. So let's say that I can't log into her checking account and her checking account, her bank does not connect reliably to YNAB. Oh, now we have to use mint.com. And many of you have gone through the setup process with me and my team where we connect the checking account to mint.com as sort of an intermediary where we can see the transactions in mint, we can see the balance, we can export from mint, we can reformat the data, we can import into YNAB. And okay, it's not the worst solution in the world. I don't love it, but it's not the worst solution in the world. The worst solution in the world is when we have a bank or a credit union, and it's almost always a credit union, to be honest, unless it's a very small local regional bank, where it doesn't connect to YNAB, it doesn't have bookkeepers access, and it does not connect reliably to Mint. Now, where am I? Uh, that's me or my team emailing you every couple of weeks and saying, hey, the connection to Mint broke again. Can you go in and refresh it? And maybe you're quick to reply and maybe you're not. And if you're not quick to reply, then time goes by. And one of the hardest parts about, about Mint is that our ultimate goal is that the information and you need a budget exactly matches the information in the bank. 
Well, if the mint connection breaks, there could be data gaps. And so there might be transactions missing. There might be extra transactions. I don't know that, how that happens, but it does happen. So now I've spent sometimes hours, hours and hours, I'm not exaggerating, trying to go row by row, transaction by transaction through a client's accounts so that I can tell her your financial statements are accurate. Now, we're all business owners here. I want you to consider with me the implications of spending hours and hours repairing the bookkeeping for a client who's paying on a sliding scale somewhere between $30 and $200. None of you would sign up for that because you just wouldn't. And I, and again, in the short term, I learn a lot from these experiences. So even in those moments, I'm not like boiling. I'm like, yeah, we can do this. And I'm good at it. It's all sorted out. But in the long term, I want to let that client know, here's why I'm asking you to switch banks. Here's why I'm asking. And it, the, pro, the problem is compounded, by the way, when you have that bank that doesn't connect reliably to YNAB, doesn't connect reliably to Mint, and has tons of personal transactions in it. I, I could truly, I can get lost sometimes for a couple of days in parsing out that whole situation. That's extremely rare. I'm trying to paint a picture so that you know that in a business like mine, this is why I come to you and say, would you be willing to consider switching to one of these five banks? And if they say no, then in this particular case, my final fallback is, okay, on the first of the month, you'll be getting an email from me asking for an export from your bank in a specific format and a PDF statement. The export gives me the transactions I need. The PDF statement allows me to reconcile to make sure that YNAB matches the bank. And then I can get my work done. It's actually surprisingly easy, an easy way to do bookkeeping. If I could send the email at 10 o'clock and by one o'clock have that reply from the client where they give me the PDF statement and they give me the transaction file, that's actually a very easy bookkeeping relationship, especially if they don't have personal transactions mixed into their checking their business transactions. But the problem is none of you wake up in the morning and I don't blame you. None of you wake up in the morning excited to be right on top of your bookkeeping tasks. And why would you be? You're excited to go do business building work as you should be. That's what makes the business happen. That's the only reason I have clients is because you all go do that work. So I send this email that says, Hey, can I get those statements? got everything set up that's really, really well suited to my processes. She ends up thinking I'm an amazing bookkeeper. And the other client, just because she banks at a certain bank, ends up thinking, I'm just not sure those guys, you know, they seem like nice enough people, but they don't really have their acts together. Well, it's not actually anyone's fault. It's not her fault. And I don't think I'm dropping the ball. It's that there's this bank that's just not well suited to our work, to our collaboration. And she ends up thinking, oh, my bookkeeping's okay, but it's not great. And I don't want that. I want her to think her bookkeeping is amazing. I can tell you that client A, the client I started the call with, she thinks my, this bookkeeping is amazing. She's told me so. I can't believe I didn't find you sooner. Well, yeah, my processes get some credit. 
my processes do get some credit for that. But equal credit goes to the fact that she's not doing anything in her business that creates friction, that creates the opportunity for disappointment that makes her wonder whether she's got a good bookkeeping service or not. It's, it really is all about that collaboration. So that's the checking account. If a client doesn't have a checking account with bookkeepers access that connects reliably to YNAB, then we're defaulting to Mint or we're falling back to Mint. And if Mint's not working very well, we're falling all the way back to asking the client to send us statements. And that is in my business, the worst case scenario, which is by the way, why I hate Venmo. So we just have to, I have to stop and shout out Venmo and how much I hate it because I cannot access the data unless you give it to me because I can't sign into your Venmo account. Even if I have the username and password, Venmo is going to want a security code every single time I try to sign in. Well, now we're playing security code tag, which is the worst kind of tag. It's not fun tag. Hey, could you send that code? They send the code six minutes later, but it expired after four minutes. Sorry, it expired. Can we try again? And you can go back and forth like that truly for days. Or you're asking for statements. Hey, still need your Venmo statement. Hey, still need your Venmo statement. It just, we just don't do it. We can't do it. We can't sign up for that. I talked to another bookkeeper. I said, what do you and your team do with Venmo? She's like, oh, we don't deal with Venmo. We will not deal with Venmo. And I was like, oh, you're hardline. And she's like, you just can't do it. You cannot build a bookkeeping service when you have, when you, when you rely on the clients to do something that they actually paid you to do in the first place. I was like, oh, amen, sister. That's exactly what we're dealing with. That's exactly what we're dealing with here. So this is why I make a stink about Venmo. Now, if any of you are listening to this and saying, wait, he's never told me he refuses to use Venmo. Well, we're in the process of not saying we refuse to do Venmo, but our process will with Venmo will be, if you choose to use Venmo, if money comes in and it's from Venmo, we will call it other revenue, blanket, blanket category. If money goes out through Venmo, we will call it other contractors. And it's, you know, that's actually reliable, probably 60, 70% of the time with the way people use Venmo in their coaching businesses. But just stop using Venmo. Just, just stop using Venmo. You know, the 3% we pay merchants, the 3% we pay PayPal and Stripe are the, they're like the grease on the wheels of internet business. So when you're working with contractors, if they're making a stink about 3%, I would encourage you to tell them that that 3% is one of the best things that's ever happened to them because it makes internet business work. We jump through a lot of hoops to avoid paying 3% and I don't think we need to. Don't get me wrong though. There was a time when I made a big stink about that. And I had a long semi-loud argument with a client because I was paying a few thousand dollars a year in fees for her because she wanted to use a specific credit card because it would give her points. Well, she won the argument and now I'm completely over on her side. It's the, it's the cost of doing business on the internet. So this client, client a, the client I'm talking about, she doesn't use Venmo and makes life um, simple. Now I do want to acknowledge there is a friction introduced when I tell a client, Hey, I'd really prefer you not use Venmo. Venmo is a near frictionless environment. And I, I'll acknowledge it. I will also say many of you, perhaps most of you are using Venmo in a way that, uh, st- strictly violates Venmo, Venmo's terms of service. So just put that out there because you're not paying fees. Okay. 
that's the client's checking account. Uh, so we, we're, we're kind of talking about now, what if a client doesn't meet these, these low friction standards? Well, we already talked about what if her checking account doesn't. With her credit cards, if her credit cards don't connect reliably to YNAB, I will take a client's direct username, her admin username and password for their credit card because there's no security risk to her or to me. All you can do if you log into a credit card account is pay the statement balance or make a payment. There's no, I can't, I can't do anything. Neither I nor my team could do anything kind of malicious. So we'll take the direct login for the, the account. The problem there becomes, what if we can't add our phone number to the account so that it can send us security codes? Well, now we're back into security code tag with the client. Hey, could you send that code again? Hey, could you send that code again? Hey, we're locked out again. It's hell. I'll just tell you it's hell. <laughs> it's the worst. So if it's an American Express or uh, Capital One, a few of these accounts where they don't, uh, where they're either they don't have bookkeepers access or their bookkeepers access is clunky, it's not a problem to take the client's username and password. But even there, I'll try to steer clients toward credit cards that I know give them great points and benefits and are low friction for bookkeeping. But if a client insists on using, well, this is this one random card and I, you know, I have to keep using it or I want to keep using it, but I can't get access to the information without her participation, it becomes a deal breaker in the relationship eventually. Where it's just like, we can't, we can't, we can't include you in the smooth operation of this service because you've decided that you're, you're like the hill you're going to die on is this particular credit card. We can't do it. And ultimately, I think those clients, it's not that they end up like they're fine. They can go find a bookkeeper who will work with it. And I don't think that's dumb or bad or anything. It's just, we're not a good fit. Those are the conditions in which we have a super low friction relationship with our bookkeeping clients. And for any of you who are service providers and any of you who are coaches, I hope that as I talk about this, it gives you some sense of like, oh, where is the friction in my business? Is it in the scheduling? Is it in the way people pay? Is it an offering a bunch of random payment plans? Is it, is it an offering a bunch of different products? That's something I didn't mention about the first client I mentioned, I, I was talking about. She sells one thing, maybe two. She doesn't sell 15 things. And it's weird the correlation that I've, I've observed over the uh, eight years that I've been in this business, the correlation between uh, very high profits and very few product offers, if that makes sense. They find their thing, they sell the heck out of that thing, and they make a ton of money. They don't have like 15 different products. I hope that sparked something uh, for, for all of you. A book, by the way, that's relevant, um, that, that I've been kind of listening and re-listening to lately is a book called A World Without Email by Cal Newport, who's the author of Deep Work, which a lot of people have heard of. And it's funny that it's called A World Without Email because it's not really about email. It's indirectly about email. It's really about processes. It's really about how we live in a knowledge economy and in a knowledge economy, uh, processes actually facilitate creativity and output in a massive way. And so even if you're a creative person or if you're running a creative business, uh, processes are sort of the key to, to creative output. So a world without email is a, a great one along these lines. There's a book called that I was recommended a few years ago called work the system. That's, uh, that's in similar along similar lines, but my, the philosophy I'm working from here is that ultimately 
it's my job as the expert. When a person comes to me and I, and they say, I need bookkeeping services. It's my job as the expert to say, actually, I know more about what you need than you do. So I'm going to ask you to conform to my systems, not because I'm trying to make my life easy, although it does make my life easier. I'm asking you to conform to my systems because I think it makes you better off as much as it makes me better off. And I see, I'm not the only, uh, I'm not the only one who's thinking along these lines. My friend and client, Jenny Lakenan is here on the call with us live. Jenny's built a couple of websites for me. Jenny's, she's sort of my, I would say she's one of my models for, for being systematic. Um, oh, are you going to, are you going to come on and chat with us now? You, you, we, I may need to get you to consult here, but look, I mean, here's why Jenny's an interesting case for me. First of all, um, it's, it's because she does web design and we think of web design and web development as such a creative thing, but Jenny is extremely system driven. So I had, I had another friend uh, and client email me earlier in the year and say, should I work with Jenny Lakenan? And I said, absolutely. Your website will look great. That's not the concern. It's the system. It's that Jenny's system will move you toward having a completed website in a timely way in spite of your flakiness, because I'm the flakiest client in the world when it comes to these things. But Jenny's system moves me right along. So I end up with a website that I'm happy with in spite of myself. Also interesting, and I want to point this out because it relates to my business. Jenny uses a certain uh, web platform that she built her websites on. I do not like the platform. Jenny, we've talked about this. I don't like it. And guess what? That doesn't matter. My like or dislike of the platform is irrelevant. And by the way, I don't know of anyone else who doesn't like the platform. I'm sort of like a grumpy old nerd who like kind of wants things to be how they were in 2007. That, that's where my that's where I'm coming from. When I say that I've never heard of anyone else saying, oh, I don't like that platform. So she uses platform and I sort of want to make a stink about it in the same way that my clients will sometimes want to make a stink about using YNAB for bookkeeping or using Google sheets in the way that I use Google sheets for bookkeeping. And Jenny isn't like, Oh, you don't like, okay, well, I'm going to make an exception for you, Mark. Cause you're a grumpy 2007 nerd. I'm going to use a different platform for you. when I build your website. No, she's like, you'll be fine. And she's absolutely right because you know what? I never really mess with my website. And that's what I didn't want to admit with to myself. And it's the same with my clients with bookkeeping who are like, oh, my, my account really wants you to use QuickBooks. I'm like, that's fine. Your accountant will actually find the reports I generate absolutely sufficient. And I've even had plenty of accountants over the years come back and say, I really love how this data is presented. It's really a lot easier for me to work with. So it's, it's Jenny's job and it's my job as people who have been delivering our services for a long time. And anyone else like us, Dina's all, or Dina was on the call. I don't, oh yeah, you're still here. So Dina does creative services for, for folks like all of us too. She's very system driven as well. It's our job as the experts to say, actually, we know where you want to end up and we've got a system that will get you there. You're one of the reasons you're paying us is to trust that expertise. You're not required to, you can switch and we'll miss you. I, I don't, I miss every client who leaves me. I'm not like, oh, forget them. No, I want them to stay, of course. But I understand that my system isn't perfect for everyone. But that doesn't mean the system needs to change. It actually means I need to double down on that system and sell its benefits better and better uh, over time and make it better because it's not it's far from perfect. So I think the way I would sum this all up is to say, 
when people come to let's do the books, I don't want them to think that they're hiring a great bookkeeper. I want them to think that they're hiring an exceptional bookkeeping system. So that if I ever do get sick of bookkeeping and decide I want to completely outsource the whole thing to a team, meaning my own team, none of you would ever notice the difference. And you never say, oh, well, I haven't heard from my bookkeeper in a month. I asked for reports a month ago and I have nothing. Or now I have to find a new bookkeeper because my bookkeeper says they're too busy for me. I want to build this thing so that all of you, while you're on your way to, if you choose to be making millions, you will graduate from me. I don't want to be your bookkeeper when you're making millions because by the way, it's your, your HR requirements grow at that point. It's not that your bookkeeping, it's not that my bookkeeping wouldn't work for you anymore. It's that now you have a bunch of employees in a bunch of States and I don't want that job. And for some reason, people think that that's the bookkeeper's job. It's not, but they go to, they go to services where people are like, fine, we'll, we'll do all your HR too. Between here and there, I want to be your guy. And I want the system to work really well. What, what that collaboration requires is sometimes short-term hassle, like me saying, I need you to switch checking accounts. I need you to switch to a new bank. Okay. That's, that's what I got. I, I hope I'm going to send out a survey in the next uh, few days about this topic and trying to get on the same page with some things, but does anybody have questions or concerns as you listen to that long oration on the business of bookkeeping or about your own business and how you think it might relate to your own business? Right, Mark, can you hear me? Yeah, there's Rob. Hi, Rob, how are you? Hey, good, good. I'm, not, I'm just curious about the comment that you made in regards to, uh, you know, once you start hitting seven figures or multiple seven figures yearly, um, you may need to have, um, I, I guess, a different type of bookkeeper or, you know, the HR and stuff. Can, can you speak to that a little bit more? I mean, what, yeah, what should we expect if that's something we're going um, I view my I view my basic job as providing financial statements, a profit and loss statement, and a balance sheet. And um, you don't even know what both of those are. You just like that's what I deliver, uh-huh. and um, my systems are set up to deliver those really well and in a timely way. At a certain point, a couple of things happen: either my clients' tax accountants, as their business gets big, gets as they get to a certain size and a certain amount of complexity my clients' tax accountants will want to start doing things that sort of break our basic workflow. And they're not negative. They have, there's tax advantages sometimes to doing those things. And I'll say, I totally support you in doing those things. Obviously, I think the, it's, it's sensible for you to do that. But I don't want to adjust my system to allow for that. I want to work with a kind of client who doesn't need that. So that would be one. And then the second thing is, when I talk about HR, uh, my, my sort of multi-million dollar earning CFO clients that I worked with over the last four or five years, they all got to a point where they were work, they were hiring employees and not just in hiring employees, but hiring employees in multiple states. So now they're having to register as an employer in each of those states and then file taxes in each of those states and have different sort of reporting requirements and different payroll needs and just sort of making things getting much more complex. So about a year ago, 
my team at the time, there were four of us at the time, we had a day long meeting and we said, we're going to, we need to decide how we're going to evolve. Are we going to evolve to becoming sort of a full service bookkeeper, CFO, HR team? Or are we going to evolve where we totally commit to the coach or the freelancer, the service provider who's doing, you know, between zero and it could be millions because it's, there's not really an upper bound, but usually zero and um, some hundreds of thousands per year. And they just want clean financial statements. They want a profit and loss in the balance sheet. They want it in a timely way. And we got to decide which direction we're going to go because straddling those lines is not a nightmare. I actually kind of tried to straddle it for like a year and it was, it was not good. It just wasn't, I'm not great at that. So this other guy popped up who my client started to hire and he wants to be that full service guy. And he charges thousands and thousands of dollars per month for the service. And I love that they have him. He's doing a great job and that's not the job I want to do. So that's what I'm talking about. I just uh, wanted to, this isn't really a question. It's more of a, like a plug. So not for me. But okay, for well, <laughs> so by the way, this is Jenny, for all the people listening to the audio, this is Jenny Lakenan. She should be building your website if she isn't already. Go, go ahead, Jenny. Um, I just love that, like, when you're telling us you're, and explaining, hey, this is how bookkeeping process needs to be to run smoothly and have a, you know, a bank that integrates with all the things and all our processes and stuff. Like you're being an example for us of how to run an efficient business and to look for places where we can eliminate some of that friction for ourselves. And I, and I love that, I don't know if you exclusively said this today, but you've said it on the Beginning Balance podcast, which if you all aren't listening to that, you should, because it's so good. Mark co-hosts. So, um, but just that the sign of this, uh, when you're, you know, you have messy spending and you have lots of credit cards and you're mixing business and personal, like it's a sign of a, it's often a sign of like a messy business too, which is just a business that just is going to lead to like burnout and just not yeah. liking it. And so I, to me, that's like the biggest reason to have systems is because if you don't have systems or some kind of process in your business to make those touch points with your clients and, and all the things you have to do smoother, like you're just going to not end up really liking your business. In the end. Thanks for bringing it up, Jenny. It, it, I think it is something I've talked about on beginning balance. Beginning balance is a podcast I co-host with a guy named Jesse Meekum. He's the founder of YNAB and he's my very close friend. Uh, we, we host this podcast called beginning balance. And something I've said there is if you show me a business and you don't let me see any of the numbers. I think I've said it this way before, but this is absolutely my belief. If I can't see any of the numbers, but I can just see how many bank accounts there are, how many credit card accounts there are, how many products they offer. If you just show me those lists, I can tell you with pretty good accuracy how well that person is sleeping at night. Because <laughs> quality of sleep seems to have an inverse relationship to number of bank accounts. It's like where there are more bank accounts, more credit cards, I'm like, okay, this, this person is stressed. She's probably not sleeping at night. And, um, and I feel for her and I want to, I want to help her um, or him. Of course I have some male clients, not the, not the majority, but yeah. The, and when I go into a business like um, 
like so many of yours, actually. In fact, uh, Tammy here is a client who's a relatively new client. And I just onboarded Tammy the other day. And I said, Tammy, you don't even know, but I'm going to thank you for having your business set up in a way where there won't be friction in our ongoing bookkeeping work. It's going to be, it's going to be smooth because, because of how cleanly you've set up your business. And that's, I think it also, and I don't, I don't, I don't know Tammy that well yet. Tammy kind of putting you on the spot here. Sorry, but I would guess looking at the banking setup, I would guess that Cam, Tammy probably sleeps pretty well at night. Um, she's, she's turned on her video. Is that a yes? You're nodding. Yes. Yeah. So it's weird how indicative it can be. So sometimes I've thought I should be a little bit more bold in saying to a client, not only am I asking you to simplify your banking, I should also sell you on the fact that it's sort it, that the, the mindset you'll use to simplify your banking and your business structure will have a, a sort of a trickle out effect in other parts of your business as you start to realize, oh, a lot of the things I'm doing in my business were, were anxiety or fear driven. I launched that new program or that product because I was scared one day or or I signed up for another credit card because I was anxious about something, missing something. And as you start to, as you start to be more system driven in all parts of your business, you'll notice that your stress goes down and your confidence increases. Um, it's yeah, there's just the, the, the trickle down effects are so powerful. There's nothing I, I will tell you all, I'm as, I get as excited today to tell a new client or a prospective client that I can't work with them as I do when I have a new client that signs up for the service and I can work with them. And it's not that I don't want to work with that other client. I do. It's that I know the favor that I've done myself and my other clients by not bringing an edge case into my business to where other things can break down because the edge cases, the one-offs are taking disproportionate energy and attention. And my life is dedicated. My brain power is dedicated to improving my processes for all of you who do fit nicely into the system. Cause I don't give myself an A plus yet. I want to give myself an A plus, but I know there's so much more I can do to improve the experience of those of you who do fit the model. And in order to have that energy available to give to you who do fit the model, I have to actively and confidently turn away people who refuse to fit the model. But I, I damage my ability to serve people who do fit the model by trying to force the model to work for everyone. That That's, gosh, I might've actually just landed on my most important business lesson from the last decade. And the one that I think I've broken too many times to my client's detriment and to my detriment is saying yes to people when it requires me to mess with my model instead of saying this model works. These people love it. I will go find more of them and do everything in my power to deliver to them an amazing experience within the, within the constraints of my current system. Yeah, 
I really think sort of having the businesses we want, I think it has as much to do with saying no as it does saying yes, probably more. There's an, there's, there will always be an infinite number of things we could do. Think about that. There's an infinite number of things we could do, which means for our entire life and business, we will be saying no to almost everything we could do. That's, that's the reality. Uh, final questions, comments. I can, anything I can, I can answer for anybody before we go on. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to make this required listening. So thank you all for coming and listening live. Uh, you will be getting a survey in the not too distant future, because one of the big open questions in my mind is how often do my clients actually look at their numbers? There's a very small subset of you that I know when you look at your numbers and I kind of build my deliverables around that. So I sort of have my Tuesday group, for example, like, oh, I know she likes to look at her stuff on Tuesdays. I have, I have a small handful there. I have a lot of others that I actually have no idea. Do they never look? And, and that's okay. I mean, it's not the end of the world if you're just about, you know, about your business and not stopping to study your PL. I just need to know because I want to, my vision for this service is that the day will come where all of you know exactly what you're going to see, exactly what you're, exactly when you're going to see it and exactly what it means. And I'm talking about in terms of uh, your numbers, right? So I want, and I have a few clients like this right now. So I have, I have a few clients who it's like Tuesday mornings by 10 a.m. This is exactly what they're going to see. This is exactly how they're going to see it. I have a couple of clients who it's, you know, the first X day of the month. This is exactly what they're going to see. I want everyone to feel like I know exactly what Mark's going to do and exactly when he's going to do it. And then you don't have to think about it. And there's just that much less friction in your business. Um, okay. So, and that's what the survey will be about. So Rebecca puts in the chat, what are your thoughts on PayPal? I've heard people saying their accounts get frozen when they start earning more than normal. <laughs> uh, well, no, but also kind of yes. So the situations where that comes up is if you have a PayPal account that's clicking along, making somewhere between a few hundred and a few thousand dollars a month. And then in a weekend you make a hundred grand. And not only do you make a hundred grand in a weekend, but you did that sort of like 10, 15, $20,000 at a time, like really big transactions. Algorithmically, PayPal is set up to hold your money. So I, be careful about the words frozen. PayPal will hold your money temporarily. They eventually give you your money. But when you do certain things, it, it causes them to think that you've broken the rules or that you're potentially scamming people and they will hold your money for a period of time. Also, sometimes you've actually broken their terms of service and, and you've, you've, I see, I shouldn't say that because that'll scare some of you. It is highly, highly, highly unlikely that any of you with the business models that you're running will violate PayPal's terms of service. And most of you will not experience a hold. I've seen clients where they had, uh, you know, half a million dollars held clients where they've had, um, 50,000 held but it's because what happened was so anomalous. So if you're ticking along and it's like 
2000 a month, 2000 a month, 4000 a month, 6000 a month, and you're sort of like growing incrementally over time, you will not experience a hold. It would be very, very surprising. But if you have a massive overnight change, you could trigger PayPal's algorithm. And then all you have to do is show them, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong here. That I'm not scamming these people. You know, here's the terms of service that they agreed to, and here's my refund policy. And the most, the longest I've ever seen PayPal hold money is six months. So it becomes this forced six month savings account, and then you get all the money back. PayPal and Stripe are the standard guys. I mean, here's what I say to people. If, if you actually do get flagged by PayPal, I can pretty much guarantee it's your fault, not theirs. And it doesn't mean you're bad. It just means PayPal is not in the business of trying to hold people's money. Uh, but sometimes people do things that cause PayPal concern like, you know, do $3 million in sales in one weekend in a PayPal account that historically has done a fraction of that. So great question. That's why I feel, com I don't, PayPal, I think is kind of antiquated. They're trying to update themselves, but I, I recommend PayPal and Stripe with such confidence because I just don't run into issues. I just don't run into issues across hundreds of clients over close to a decade. Okay, we'll end it there, folks. Thanks for being here. Watch your inboxes for a survey. Feel free to, um, yeah, reply to that survey. I really want to understand how we get to an A plus for every single client. Or if we can't be an A plus, you know, uh, unfortunately, maybe that means some clients move on to a service where they feel like they can get an A plus. Thanks for being here. Talk to you all in the future.